Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Gary, <laughs> Gary Poppy. And I'm <laughs> Why is this so funny? I thought of a story that you told me before we started recording. Yeah. About a certain person in your life who gives you meaningful looks. Oh, yeah. Okay. And sorry, then I started imagining you doing it. Fair. Anyway. <laughs> This is a podcast. Um, It's an ARC podcast. Yeah. Yes. About the ARC encounter in In Kentucky. Kentucky. That's all we ever talk about. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We'll get through it eventually. Don't worry. But there's just so much material. There's so much to talk about. It's so exciting. We're not going to help you. You just have to wait. I have one exciting update for you, Carrie. Yes. Ross, is it? Yeah, I'm Ross. Based on our last episode, I have cracked the code. Okay. I have learned how to decipher the barely veiled messages at the Ark Encounter that are written by Noah and his family. Oh, that's right. So they have their own custom script. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I finally sat down to kind of compare the letters and make a little chart. And now I am quite adept at recognizing, so I can slowly read through any of these. Whoa. Okay, so what kind of logic got you there? Did you have to figure out, well, this must be an E because of how many times it replays in this word? You know, that's normally where I would have started. But in an interview with Tim Chafee Mm -hmm. that I saw on Answers.TV, because I've been spending a lot of time there lately, he mentioned that in this poster... It said something, and I'm showing Carrie a, it's not even a poster. It's a parchment, a drawing on a table of one of these kind of saber tooth like cats. Yeah. He said that it says something like, watch out for her claws, I think he said. Mm. But it ended up saying, watch out for the, cl- oh, sharp claws. There we go. So uh, anyways, mm. that was a good starting point for me. Yeah. That gave me 13 of the letters. Sure. And okay. then went from there. There's a character for a space and for a period. And then there's one for each number. And so, yeah, I've gone through and I have translated a bunch of these. Here's my little answer oh, code. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember getting called out of class to go with the other 10 <laughs> smartest kids to go do this for some reason. Of course. Did you have this program, Gate? We had it. I was never in it. What? Yeah. Ross, get it together. I remember people around me all saying like, well, why aren't you in Gate? Like, I don't know. No one <laughs> ever talked to me about or Gate. Talented. I don't know. So yeah, I always felt a little left out of Gate, but okay. I know, I know well, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all this. They'd call us out and then they'd take us to this special room where they would make us do this, and, which was great. It crack was all the Enigma code because we're fighting the Germans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So funny. Yeah, it makes me think of, well, we've talked about the Indiana Jones ride because it has mm-hmm. the same sort of thing where it's just English characters, but they've been replaced by some something that looks ancient. Yeah. And then you learn to decode it. Are you familiar with the Christmas story? Oh, sure. The movie? Yeah. Yeah. A Ralphie has like the little orphan Annie decoder that yes. he struggles so hard to finally earn and he gets it. And now he's going to crack the code. He's got all the numbers written down. Oh, yes. And it spells like drink Ovaltine or something. <laughs> exactly, yes, yeah. yes. Be sure to drink more Ovaltine, <laughs> which 
is pretty much the caliber of what you've unlocked here. So be sure to go to the Ark Encounter again. <laughs> that would. <laughs> I wish they had done that because that would have. I would. That'd be a fun huge, Hugely respect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this one will say things like. And so they didn't give you any kind of key to figure this out. No. Okay. Except that I heard Tim give away that one line. Right. Cool. And I mean, it was fun. So I was on my computer, just kind of like drawing on top of these, and it's also right to left because it's a proto Hebrew. That's yeah. kind of the idea. Cool. I should say I have posted these images without the code on our Facebook page. Okay. Sorry to everyone like us who hates Facebook, but that's where it is right now. So you have a little bit of time to decode it, but here's a good time to skip forward if you don't want to hear what any of these messages are. Yes, cipher spoiler. So here's uh, one of the sons pouring food down a long feeding device to an elephant-like creature. And it says, food thing, the... (laughs) Food thing. The creator sent juveniles that's what no no that's a g okay Okay. good thing the creator Creator sent sent juveniles because they're small and eat less yes okay i see okay also related to food so when noah is busy writing at his desk while he's answering your questions turns out he's just writing and it came about and then some of it's obscured Mm -hmm. began to multiply on the face of the earth And daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took for themselves wives from any they chose. And the creator said, my spirit will not remain with man. So this is all from Noah. Yeah, this is from the Genesis account. So essentially Mm. they're saying like Noah wrote this. Noah wrote Genesis? And at least that part (gasps) of it. Whoa. And and it got passed down and then, you know, incorporated. Oh, right. Okay. Convenient. Word for word. Perfectly preserved from the hand of Noah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that take that Noah is the I've heard that before, you know, because you have that one boat. It's not like it would have been preserved anywhere else. Somehow that knowledge escaped from the boat. But here they have him actually writing it. Oh, yeah. Good point. And then they make it easy. Like in this interactive menu, they've put a little bit of text right under where it says, learn about life on the ark. The text under that just says life on the ark. Mm, So that's another good answer key if you're trying to build your own decoder. On the globe that we talked about last time, you've got the location of Eden. And you see four four rivers coming out from it. There it is. On the old supercontinent. Oh, okay. So we can't see which of the current continents that I would, would be. That would be fun to try to work out to see yeah. if their old continents match up to our new ones and we can show where Eden used to be. Yeah. We've got the Euphrates, Pishon, Hidekel, Cush. Yeah, I feel very proud of myself now that I can render these. Here's another scroll that's left out. The eight of us entered the Ark along with every beast after its kind, and so on. So, Great log entry. Well, this one was kind of fun. There was like a little hanging cloth sign on the wall, and it has just the names of the patriarchs. So Adam, Seth, typical Enosh, and then the age they were when they gave birth to that son. So you can kind of add it up for the age of the earth. Mm-hmm. Comes down to Noah and his sons at the bottom. So that was kind of fun. This uh, animal on that page, the first one that I got the clue about, mm-hmm. it's called Hammerchin. Hammerchin. Cool. Hammerchin. Yeah, that sounds like a shark. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Hammerhead. Hammerhead. Hammerchin. Hammer I got gotcha. you. Get those to fight. So there we go. Have you ever seen one of these honey badger videos? The honey badger don't care. Honey badger don't give a shit. Yeah, you seen them do anything. I'd never actually watched one until recently when I found out they They're kill funny. snakes. 
Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm listening. And then I watched. <laughs> yeah, and, like wow. mongooses. Yeah. I know I'm like 15 years late to this meme, but the honey badger really doesn't care. Yeah, like go ahead and bite me. Yeah. I'm immune. Yeah. I may take a little nap, but I'll get right back up and finish it's eating really you. impressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if the you're honey badger, you're listening, I'd love to talk to you. But also if you're a geologist and you're listening and you can look at this globe and say, oh, clearly the Garden of Eden on this globe is on such and such. I would like to know that. Food thing, the creator invented the honey badger. <laughs> All right. So now that we've settled that mystery, mm-hmm. we're proceeding up the ramp up to the third floor. So let's okay. Let's uh, explore the last deck of the ark. Well, the last one's the fourth floor, but it's secret. Yeah. You know what? I've been watching, again, a lot of videos on Answers.TV. Sure. And Ken Ham was talking about how they do eventually want to open the fourth floor deck up as additional exhibits like they have plans for it interesting but i guess just another way to point out that this is not the real arc yeah though i guess they're kind of wasting space with the height of the arc if they didn't use all all that space you're saying there's only three decks in the original description of what noah was supposed to build i see i see so those are really tall decks yeah what's the point of this yeah 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 extra floor we won't reach it in this episode but later on the third floor there's going to be a comparison with other flood myths. Okay. And there's actually one of the myths that has a larger structure than the Ark encounter, like more than two and a half times the square footage of available space. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you would think that this would be the largest. Why are there so many flood myths? Should I not ask you that now? You can start thinking about it. Okay, I'll start thinking about it. Why are there so So many many flood myths? Myths about floods. Which sometimes end in rainbows. Yeah. There's more flood myths than there are songs about rainbows. Right. There's just the two, really. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny you mentioned that and then people are like, okay, let me pull out some really obscure song that's Uh called Rainbow that you've never heard of. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's really just the Judy Garland one. Yeah. And and then then the 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 one one referring to all these other rainbow songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Kermit. Yeah, no, it's right up there with more than one song about rainbows. It's funny. I love that song, but if you listen to the words, it really is kind of like a pro superstition yeah it is i know i love but it's it, such a great song it's so beautiful yeah, I, can't and I can play it, it on the banjo Ooh. until the key change and then i'm out <laughs> okay okay but what really greets you as you come up to the third deck mm. is this oh my god a life-size ken ham <laughs> yeah a stand wow. up of ken ham clutching his bible and smiling at you is uh, that wood cardboard with his spectacles flesh a uh, cardboard <laughs> A hologram. Yeah, it's a cardboard, cardboard okay. cutout or maybe like foam core or poster board or something. But okay. I think the idea is maybe you can stand next to it and take a picture. Take a photo. Absolutely. We looked into these for our wedding because oh. our, our wedding was called the Drew Carey Show. Mm-hmm. So we tried to get one of these of actor Drew Carey. Oh, yeah. We just ended up just getting his head. Oh, yeah. I remember, which was on a stick. Yeah. Head on a stick. Yeah. Good at every wedding. <laughs> so I can tell you this cutout. Good five hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Probably. New respect for uh, (laughs) this cutout. Sure. So this little section, there's a little offshoot that's all about joining us in bringing the Bible to life. So it's just a donation pitch, essentially. Like, Mm. here's how great our ministry is. Here's how you can be part of it. Here's a QR code. Here's a little promotional video. 
Send us money, essentially. Okay. Speaking of which, when he was talking about all his plans on the fourth floor, he was just saying, we just need some benefactor to send us millions of dollars. I, I think he had a number, right? Um, Are you going to do it? I'm saving up. <laughs> saving up. <laughs> Wouldn't it be sad if we became millionaires and that's what we did? That would be really sad. Yep. Like, we kind of missed the point. <laughs> Of we our missed pocket. the boat. <laughs> yeah. We want to come back to the Ark Encounter and see more things. <laughs> so let's fund it. And then also, who built the Ark Encounter? So this was kind Noah. of fun. No. Noah had nothing uh, to do with no, the Ark Encounter. No, uh, but I'm guessing it was evangelical Christians with money to spare, mostly in the middle of the United States. That's a little less self-aggrandizing than this display, which is all about the history of answers in Genesis. Mm. So we're learning about Ken Ham. He was born in Queensland, Australia. He was a high school teacher of applied science. Oh. But in 1979, he got invigorated about creationism and he left his teaching position to work in a full-time ministry, started talking to churches and running a little creationist bookstore out of his home. Whoa, in what state? Kentucky? Well, this was still in Australia at the time. Austra- oh, duh, he's from Australia. Right, okay. But then yeah. shortly thereafter, in 1987, he moved to... <gasps> Kentucky? No, the most secular, horrible state in the... California? Yes. Oh, no. In 1987, he moved there because he wanted to join the Institute for Creation Research, sure. yes. which runs yes. the museum that we talked about very early in our show. Oh my gosh, like 10 years ago. Yeah, one of our early episodes, we went to their museum in Santee, California. We took a paleontologist who really ruined his day. Yeah, and we'll hear from him a little later because I okay. was just chatting with him. Don Prothero. Don Prothero, good Forever guy. ago. So when Ken Ham was a teacher, was that at a Christian school or a public school? That I don't know. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that would be a good question whether he started out preaching to the choir or right. if he had some secular interaction yeah i'm not sure his whole deal he might be preaching the choir and still be like but the choir's stupid and not evangelical enough for me <laughs> that seems to be his mo He's, right yeah that would be totally in line for him yeah and this is another thing i would like to know better but apparently there was kind of a power struggle within the institute for creation research Because at least from an account that I read online, it sounded like he was trying to get more and more decision-making power within the organization, Uh, wanted to build a creation museum, and people were pushing back against his kind of increasing influence. I see. that's when he left in in 1994. And who else is in ICR? Is that Hugh Ross? So funny you would mention Hugh Ross. We had an episode about him Mm -hmm. a long while back because he's well-known as someone who believes in an old earth, but believes that evolution had to be guided by God. Right. Reasons to believe. Yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm still in their newsletter and watch a lot of their stuff, too. But I have for you a CD called An Astronomer's Quest. Oh, cool. Astronomer Hugh Ross spent two years testing the Bible's scientific statements. There were multiple copies of that on the giveaway table at my work. So somebody was oh, like, I've got too many of these Hugh Ross CDs. Oh, funny. Let's put okay, them out for cool. other people. Thanks. And so I grabbed one for myself. And then one of my coworkers came by and left a post-it on it saying, Ross, I thought you'd like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, Carrie gets one now. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you, coworker. So I don't know how this went down, but apparently there was some kind of struggle for control. And so he splits off. So Answers in Genesis was created in 1994 in Mm. a strip mall in Northern Kentucky. 
Okay, so by that point, he's in Kentucky. Yeah, and he co-founded it with Mark Loy, L-O-O-Y, and Mike Zovath. And I looked them up. And they still work for Answers in Genesis. So those three managed to get along. Then he started kind of doing his work to get his Creation Museum, which opened in 2007. And then in 2016, again, that's when they opened the Ark Encounter. Yeah. So very busy. But that's a little history they gave us with a little bit of embellishment from me. Do you know how he ended up in Kentucky? I think he was just looking for a place where he knew he could get the proper audience and funding. Okay. And uh, that's what he discovered. Okay. Okay. But then once you get to the actual exhibits of the third floor, your first stop is going to be the living quarters. Of Noah and his progeny? Yeah. Okay. All eight of them. So this is another thing I learned from watching videos. Apparently, each of the eight members of the Ark show up once on each deck. Oh, okay. We were talking earlier about how, like, you know, it's kind of weird when you're like, wait, I just saw you. I just saw you. Yeah. How'd you get down here? So all eight of them are in that little worship scene on the first deck. On the second deck, they're distributed doing work for the animals, feeding them. And Noah's got his little study and he's standing next to him, Zara, his wife. On the third floor, they're hanging out around their living quarters. Okay. So there's a little sign that helps you to meet Noah's family. We all descend from Noah's sons and daughters-in-law. So the world's diversity should be recognizable in these six people. (laughs) This is going to go great. And of course, the sons are all brothers, so they look pretty similar. Because it would be weird if they all looked completely different. Sure. And they all probably look fair-skinned, is my guess. Yep. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, fair to middling. Mm-hmm. So so they even admit <laughs> the wives exhibit all the distinctions that we see passed down into the world so population. So the wives represent all the races. Mm-hmm. We got to have their wives come in and represent all the races. Very fun. Uh-huh. Can't wait to see them all. So we learned that Ariel is like Middle Eastern in her appearance. <laughs> okay. Kezia is <laughs> oh, uh, African and Asian. So she's really the only person on the arc that you look at and go, oh, someone with dark skin. Uh But even then, not as dark skin as you can imagine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but Africa and Asia. Okay, and then Reina is Europe. So she's just a white lady. Uh uh And they've, of course, given them names, but they've also given them all various like abilities and interests. And they're all just chopped up versions of what Noah and Imzara are into. Okay. So... Mm -hmm. So their interests just get split into these subsects. Yeah. Like, you know, this guy's really good at farming. This guy wants to explore. He really loves looking at the stars and can't wait to set out once the arc lands. Oh, sure. Like, they're all like the seven dwarves and they just have one personality trait. Sneezy. Dopey. Bashful. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you, (laughs) ma'am. Totally. One of the first questions they ask on a sign as you're walking in is, why are the living quarters so nice? Because they are. They're pretty spacious and expansive. You're like, oh, this is cool. It looks so clean and nice. You would forget that there's all these animals nearby. You're peeing into a tube. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Shitting. Right. Making endless noise. Fucking hunting. It could never be quite, can you imagine, like, even just those dogs there? They're always going to have something to bark at. yeah. But it sure looks quite sterile and so orderly and clean. So their answer to that is essentially they need time for a little R&R between all of their work. Mm. And they remind us of the artistic license that whenever there is scriptural support for something, we'll give you the verse. Don't worry. 
Otherwise, we're just making shit up. And I said, I wasn't worried. I knew you would. (laughs) Here's Shem reading a scroll with some of that same text on it. And uh, Shem is such a cool name. Yeah, Shem. You don't really meet Shems, do you? Don't meet any Shems. Well, I haven't. You know, if we have a listener named Shem, I would love to hear about that. Let's hear from you, Shem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any of these names, Japheth? Yeah, you know what? If you were on the ARC, I want to hear from you. I have a coworker named Jafet, but it's spelled the same. And I said, oh, is that the proper way to pronounce it? He's like, no, no, it's just my parents. That's how they decided to name me. I've had this conversation for 31 years. (laughs) Yeah, like, just have it one more time for me. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Jafet. And then, of course, ham. Yeah, you don't meet too many hams either. True. A lot of people are hams. Or eat hams. Sure. Not us. So, yeah, he likes to read. He's into learning. And so he's chilling out, reading a book, shirtless. Sweet. Oh, okay. Looking all oiled up. Shem. Yeah. Reading shirtless. Hey, what Name Shem. Whatever you do. backup spouse. (laughs) Whatever you do in private. And you can't like walk into their living quarters. There's a nice little low rail to keep you. From getting too close. He also cares for animals. You know what? That is your backup husband. Okay. I think probably everyone on this boat cares for animals, but... Speaking of animals, I think you were right when you suspected that the animal encounters on the second floor, Uh why that's missing. Uh So I found an old video from 2017 where indeed they had live animals Uh and they would do demonstrations. For some reason, they chose not to do that. Oh my God, I got (laughs) to talk to them. I knew it. I I bet they realized it's actually a bunch of work (laughs) to take care of a bunch of animals. It's impractical. In an enclosed space. Yeah, it turns out. It's really hard to take care of a bunch of animals even, with a small staff. Even when Isn't you, that interesting? Even when you have an elevator literally five cubits away uh-huh. from that space. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> but why stop and think about it when you could just roll right along and just for the rest of your life tell this one story? Indeed. Mm. But you have to wonder, where is his wife, Ariel, because she's not in the room with him. It's mm. their room. But I found her later. She's here in the kitchen. Oh, where she should be. She's preparing food. Naked. Pregnant. No, wait. Barefoot. 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 Pregnant. pregnant. (laughs) Not naked. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. They don't don't depict them as pregnant, but that would make sense, wouldn't it? Do any of them have babies as soon as they land? No, I don't think so. How long are we on this arc? One year. One year. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Plenty of time for making babies. When you're not mucking up after animals. Then you see the room for... Japheth and Reyna, they're just hanging out. So at least they're together. And he's playing instruments, which is dangerous. You like what? some kind of flute. Like music, you know. Oh, yes. One of the bad. One of the corruptions of the pre-flood world. And then Reyna, his wife, is uh, doing like a little art project she's painting on the ground there. In but, Spanish, Reyna means queen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They make show of how you could grow food on the ark if you needed to. It's not in the scripture, but, you know. They had enough sunlight. Maybe they could grow these types of plants. So They're like, we know what you're thinking. We'd run out of food. No, we wouldn't. That's right. We can grow some lettuce. And then they've got food stores and they've got like a little wood stove. There's a loom mm, looming okay. in front of you. You see, you need to make some clothes. One of the women makes clothes. And then you've got Ham and Kezia. So she's our one person with dark skin. Thank you for preserving that for all of humanity. Yes, thank you, Kezia, Kezia. if you're yeah. listening. Whew. And uh, this is kind of fun. So when you see Noah and Mzara on this floor, Noah is up on a ladder releasing a dove. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So we're near the end of this story then. Right. And th- that makes sense too, that you would have it 
closest to the roof sure. of all of the yeah, decks. Yeah, you let that dove out in the middle of the boat. It's just <laughs> fly around. But at the end of the Noah's Ark story, mm-hmm. he releases this dove into the sky and yeah. everything's good again. And we mentioned this before, how there's kind of like multiple versions of the story baked into the same story, mm-hmm. sort of like with the creation myth. And right after each other, like first it says that Noah releases a raven And Mm. it just goes about to and fro and it never comes back because it's looking for Mm. dry land, but it doesn't find it. Yeah. So then immediately afterwards, it just goes like, "Hmm, guess we won't see the raven again. And he Mm. releases a dove and then the dove comes back Mm. uh, with, I think, with an olive branch first. And I don't know, there's like three releases of the dove. So like a week Mm. later, he releases the dove again. And then he gets the sign that like the dove has found dry land. So maybe that's the olive branch one. And then... Later on, he releases the dove again, and it doesn't come back. It's like, oh, okay, you found, like, a home, so uh, right. we, c- we can land our boat now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think they could just look out whatever windows they have? Yeah, also, your dove might have died. Mm, right. Yeah. It's weird to be like, my animal didn't come home. I guess it's safe to go out now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seems like weird logic, but I'm not a shipbuilder. A weird logic is the hallmark of this whole tale. <laughs> And then they also have a bunch of bird cages up in that area. So that's where they keep all the birds right next to their living quarters. Why not? Why not? Wait, oh, wait, hang on. Why not? The, the noise. <laughs> exactly. The noise. Yeah. And the poop. Seems like that. Noise would, and poop. Yeah. Imagine like all the noisy forest birds you've ever heard yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful and everything. But yeah, hard to sleep. They're, they're all right next door to where you're sleeping. In little cages. So they're all frustrated. Mm-hmm. Awful. That's right. So there you go. That's what the bird cages look like. There's plenty more where that came from. Okay. Yeah. So Noah is not in his room and his room is relatively small compared to the uh, younger couples. But, you know, he's got his study in his library. So he's not hurting. Is it raining all 100 days or just there's like turbulence? Just the 40 days and 40 nights is like the crazy rain. Then there's time for the water to abate. But still, where does all this water go? There's so much water. Yeah. If it's supposed to be above the tallest mountain by 15 cubits, Mm -hmm. 22 feet-ish, that's a lot of water. Yeah. Where did it all go? I don't know. Evaporated. But it did it within a year. Wow. At least enough for them to hit dry land and get out. So then you emerge from the living quarters and that's where you have... All the benches for the theater, as in the days of Mm, Noah. Yeah. That's that modern story that we told you about with the same actors from the uh, old story of reporters interviewing Noah. Now it's modern reporters interviewing modern Noah. Okay, so once you're done watching that, then you proceed down the long hallway with all of these exhibits to Mm. teach you various aspects of creationism and the creation story. So the first one is called The Flood, What Happened Outside of the Ark? So this is all about flood geology, which was kind of the original pursuit of creationism, Mm. like modern creationism. That's where it really got started with this book called The Genesis Flood, The Biblical Record and Its Scientific Implications, Mm. written in 1961 by John C. Whitcomb and Henry M. Morris. Okay. So they were really the guys who kind of kick-started the modern movement because at that point, pretty much all Christians had just said, Oh, okay. Overwhelming evidence. The earth is much older than we thought. So let's find a way to incorporate that theologically. Yeah. And then these kind of 
oddballs said, uh-huh. no, 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 let's... These two guys. Let's defend this. Yeah, what, it was Whoa. really Whitcomb in particular who pursued this and started writing the book. But then he was looking for someone who was like a PhD who could come in with kind of a more scientific treatment and explain Lend all that. this credibility. Yeah, exactly. Like, give me more details about how this geology would work. And he was having a really hard time finding someone, but then he found this lecturer and he's like, oh, can you help me write my book? And that guy ended up writing more than he did. That book was quite popular within the Christian community. And everybody went, whoa, this is a hill we can defend. Yeah. I mean, and probably a lot of that was sincere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Morris was the co-founder of the Creation Research Society in 1963. And then in 1970, the Institute for Creation Research. Okay. Okay. So that's wow. kind of- Wow. So this all happened like recent. a second ago. Yeah. The modern creation movement is really dated to the 60s. It's- whoa. That's crazy. This is reminding me of some reporting John Ronson did recently about the modern anti-abortion movement and like how young that really is in Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it'll be turning like 60. uh, Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Nuts. Okay. So this is also kind of where I feel I got my foundations as a creationist. Like when I was reading my Bob Jones textbook, the real things that I got motivated to argue about and against were kind of based out of flood geology, which isn't like a real legitimate field of study, obviously, but it's a focus of these people and they've collected a whole bunch of quote unquote data around it. Well, it's a legitimate thing to study for a little bit, but then once you realize what the answer is, (laughs) then you move on. on. (laughs) Yeah. So they've got a variety of signs and as they do in almost every exhibit, there's kind of a little comparison of worldviews. We all look at like the same rocks, the same fossils, the same earth. It's just we come to different conclusions because we have different starting points. Okay. Which I think is sort of flattening where the real focus should be is, well, where's the evidence? Mm -hmm. Sure. But they want to treat it like, well, they're both, they wouldn't even say they're both legitimate ways to interpret the evidence, but. They're both two different perspectives and one has God on its side. Yeah, they want to flatten it. So it's like, well, we're both just making things up anyway, right? Right. Though they'll only say the other side's making stuff up. We have God's word to go on. So yeah, it's the evolutionary worldview versus the biblical worldview. So this is a really big problem for them is the geologic column. The Mm. fact that if you go out and you start digging in the earth, you're going to find certain types of rock. And occasionally you'll find certain types of fossils in that certain type of rock. Right. But it's pretty predictable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You go down a little further, you find a different type of rock. And it's got different types of fossils in it. So one of the first signs you encounter is titled uniformitarianism, which is just the underlying belief that we expect that the past operated under the same continuous observable processes that we see today yeah and (laughs) that you can kind of assume that generally true okay and they're saying actually it would happen a lot faster because god was behaving differently then the flood pretty much created all of this right like all of this happened in the flood very quickly within the span of a year essentially you had all these different layers that just happened to miraculously lay down one on top of each other and we were in a period where god behaved in more obvious and quick ways than today, I assume is sort of the underlying yeah. principle. Or, the, there. or really that this was a one off. Mm-hmm. It's just a special circumstance mm. and it hasn't happened before or since. Mm. But here we're, you know, making all these wild conclusions that it took millions of years. Okay. So they lay out the problems. Where are all the transitional fossils? Well, <laughs> at a natural history museum? Yeah. Do have you, want, do you, have you tried? <laughs> have you gone to a museum? Huh. Okay. Maybe you should. Another problem. 
Why are there time gaps with no erosion between some layers of the column? So they'll highlight this later. But yeah, the idea is that you've laid out the order of these things, but I can point to one where this layer is missing. Why is that layer missing? Okay. And it's just like the person who's asking nagging, annoying questions and doesn't realize like, okay, well, that just means that at that time, that layer got eaten away by erosion or whatever other process. Uh-huh. So we don't have that here, but we have it in the other nearby columns. So the story is consistent. Okay. So it's sort of like if someone was like, you told me that wisdom teeth exist under people's other teeth, but I'm looking at this skull and there's no wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, that's where they'd go. I have half knowledge and I'm yeah. defending it very vociferously. Right, right, right. Because I have a categorical idea that might not apply to every individual. And I have a question for which there's a good answer to, but I'm going to ask it belligerently. Rhetorically, yeah. So we can't have a productive conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they have another problem that has to do with organisms churning up the soil. Bioturbation, I think they just wanted to use the term bioturbation, would not permit gradual processes to lay distinct rock layers. Disagree. Again, it's like you know one thing and you just decide to wield it as a weapon. Okay, so another thing that creationists often do is they talk about observational science. So they want to separate Mm. like different types of science. So they have a display here where they show pictures of different fossils and say, yeah, we find these two, but we don't assume that they're from all these different eras. Okay. That's an assumption that you're making evolutionist. But it's based on a bunch of other shit. Right. But we want to ignore that for the moment. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) Okay. No. Oh, I won't ignore that. This I'm going to keep that in mind while I listen. This was an interesting point I'd never heard before. They're upset about scientists looking at Mars and features on Mars and saying there was massive flooding on Mars. And they say, why can scientists accept that for Mars and not for Earth? <laughs> well, what? Yeah, that was my thought. What? <laughs> because... Well, the scientists point to features on Mars and say, yeah, this was the sign of ancient flooding of water before all the water evaporated. Oh, my God. This is such a gimme. Just say Noah's Ark happened on Mars, you guys. Oh. Easy. Whoa. Right? That might be fun for that Billy Carson guy who's kind of the uh, like Sumerian Babylonian creationist. Okay. Who I saw at the Conscious Life Expo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he might have fun with that. Billy, hit me up. So, yeah, scientists, you have no problem with floods on Mars while you have such a problem with floods on Earth. Well, because they're looking at evidence and they (laughs) see it there. Such a weird flex. How bizarre. They devoted three signs to that. How strange. It's like Kimberly says her house was robbed, but the police have no evidence of that, but they say that Stacy's house was robbed. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, why do they say that? Different situations. Yeah, that's so weird. What a strange argument. Okay, and here's what I think is just Kind of the most absurd thing that they say. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Here it comes. Okay. Catastrophism. This is this whole idea that the geologic column and all its ordering Mm -hmm. is based on what happens in a catastrophe like a massive flood like this. And I'll read it from their sign here. The order in which fossils appear in the record can be generally understood as a progression of burial according to the ecosystem in which the creatures lived in the pre-flood world, although marine fossils are found throughout the record. So the idea is, and this is what Mm -hmm. Bruce, the docent, told me back at the Institute for Creation Research when I asked him, why is it that we consistently find 
organisms in increasing complexity as we move from the bottom up mm-hmm. and never any counterexamples. And he said, clams can't run. And that's essentially the argument they're making here. The simpler organisms got buried first, the mm. things at the bottom of the ocean, uh, the trilobites or whatever, you know, or the things that we would normally say were in like the Precambrian mm-hmm. deposits. All the, the weird little like things that we find no modern equivalents of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, then the first vertebrates show up and then later on the fish like things, and, mm. you know, it just keeps building up in complexity. This is such special pleading that somehow you didn't have a human that died right away or plants that mm. didn't show up till much later in the fossil record. You know, you think some plants would have gotten in the mix. Right. So this posits that everything died in stages, which you would also think would be in the Noah story. It would be like in day 85, mm. all of the clams die. Day yeah. 89, all of the shrimp die. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And God saw that it was bad. <laughs> yeah. And then it would. That's a good point. If they were writing it today and they knew that that was a problem for them, they would. Sure. But yeah, I'm guessing whoever wrote the story had no idea of of all the fossils that would be found. But it would be a very notable thing. Yeah. So it is just such special pleading. It works though. Like when you first said that, I was like, oh, okay, I see. I oh, see the, the simpler things from. would die first. Yeah. And then, you know, if you give it more thought than that, it doesn't make sense. Famously, JBS Haldane was asked, what would cause you to doubt evolution. And he said, rabbit fossils in the Precambrian. Yes. Yeah, just once. Remember that? Any one example of something showing up where it's not supposed to be would, yeah, throw everything off. Yeah, earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing falls apart right there for me. I don't think I believe this happened. You don't think this happened? I don't think it happened. It's pretty interesting. This was really weird. They had this exhibit about rapid fossil formation. And they were saying, like, evolutionists think that it takes millions of years for a fossil to form but an animal would decay before its body was preserved no everybody knows you have to somehow have the animal die in such a way that it gets quickly buried and surrounded in a substance that Mm -hmm. will start that process of replacing their organic molecules with Mm -hmm. inorganic ones and eventually yes that process takes a long time but they seem really confused about the claim of how the process gets started and they think that evolutionists are saying that it takes millions of years for that fossil to begin forming oh i see like you know if i go out and die on the lawn there yeah you know like i'm gonna disintegrate before Mm -hmm. i turn into a fossil right doesn't happen right away but it's like they know that there are fossils so right yeah what why are we disagreeing about the process of how fossils form yeah that's strange if i go out and die on your to begin with if i go out and die on your lawn and then a a massive landslide happens Mm -hmm. and i get buried there's a much better chance of a rossel sure (laughs) yeah yeah did you just come up with that yeah yeah i'm very proud of myself thank you you. the precary brian i like it we're historical here's one that i remember from my textbook that I would try it out. So if you found early college Ross and you had a little debate with him yeah. about creationism and evolution, he would bring out polystrate fossils and he'd feel really proud of himself about that too. Yeah. I mean, and I would still probably be like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, Ross. So they can point to certain photos that they have of, look at this. There was a tree that was buried upright as sediment was laying. Mm-hmm. And so you can see this one tree fossil that's going through multiple, what to them look like layers. The problem is no scientist is claiming that 
these multiple layers were millions of years apart. Again, oh, okay. different situations. But if someone were, we'd have a response. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's right. So there you go. Mm-hmm. But again, they found not even an outlier, but they've just found a different situation. And then they've just allowed everyone attending this exhibit to just run with the assumption, oh, well, then all of these layers are just of arbitrary dates. Right. And scientists are just making up right, right, right. the dates on them. If they're even following this deeply. Fair point. Then there was this interesting sequence of video displays and backlit illustrations that showed what they think happened during the flood. Cosmologically? Specifically geologically. Geologically, okay. So it all starts with fissures forming under the water. And so the water levels rise as all of this hidden water under the ground comes out. Okay. And that sends steam into the air because now it's like interacting with magma that's also getting released that's what starts all the flooding oh wow okay i would have thought god just sends some rain yeah but if they can find a materialistic explanation they'll use it those filthy materialists at the ark encounter i thought that was an interesting excuse for where the rain came from we've talked about this before but they don't like the idea of the antediluvian canopy which I used to be quite taken with as a theory. Mm, Okay. But they've decided that whatever model showing that to be untenable, that that much moisture could hang in the air, they're okay with disregarding it, which is interesting because, I don't know, they're willing to let God break the laws of physics in so many other respects, but not in this one. The antediluvian canopy. So antediluvian means before the biblical flood, Mm -hmm. and canopy is a thing that covers everything. Was this theorized plant matter? No, it's just moisture, vapor in in the air, you know, like... Oh, oh, a canopy of water. Yeah, clouds so thick that Mm. we probably couldn't even see the nighttime sky. Whoa! Or maybe rarely, you know, that it was mostly overcast all the the time. Oh, the flat earthers must love this. And yeah, maybe because it definitely speaks to a firmament. Yes. And I remember being taken with it because it answers a lot of things like, why did people live so long? You had this canopy absorbing a lot of radiation. Oh, okay. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, little Ross. And then like why we had never seen a rainbow before until after the flood because, you know, it's always overcast. You get rainbow. (laughs) so sad um okay interesting okay but they don't subscribe to it other creationists do so then they've illustrated the water covering up the highest hills to over 15 cubits whoa that looks cool yeah yeah one of the cups that i almost bought depicted kind of a cross section where you just see this huge expanse of water and then the ark floating on top of it but you know there's little sauropods swimming underneath And then eventually the Ark comes to rest. And then like mountains are formed during all of this as well, because now we've kind of introduced all this tectonic movement in the Earth. So I feel like that's a clever approach, because if you treat the Earth as relatively flat beforehand, Mm -hmm. then it's not as hard for the waters to rise 15 cubits above the highest hill, mountain, whatever you want to call it. But then they say that because the Earth is... Moving during all this time, and they even point to Genesis 7-11, which says, The same day, all the foundations of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. So that one little mention is like their license to say, Aha, the earth was on the move. Mm, Okay. And they don't mention it here, but at their creation museum, they had a display that states that they believe that the original continent that Noah would have lived on was Rodinia 
which is a term and an idea that we get from science. Mm. There was a massive supercontinent that evidence tells us about, but Mm -hmm. it was supposed to have been assembled essentially a billion years ago. Ah, right. And then it would have broken up around 750 to 633 million years ago. Right, right. And then they believe that during the flood, that got broken up and moved around so much, like all of these continents, that you got Pangaea that we always think of. That's kind of everybody's go-to supercontinent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that reporter was from the Pangaea. Yeah, yeah, press or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they believe that that formed under the water, existed during the flood, but then broke up again and moved towards our current continental oh, layout. Oh, wow. Okay. All during the flood. So. Pangaea existed for all of like a week during the flood, (laughs) whereas science tells us it formed about 335 million years ago and then broke up about 200 million years ago. Wow. So, yeah, but doing some fancy footwork, accelerating time. Yeah, moving those continents apart, putting them back together, moving them apart again. I think if Noah were worth his salt... Mm-hmm. He would just set up a website. He would tell everybody, listen, I'm trying to get two of every animal. Just come pick your slot. He'd have a little calendar widget. and You'd be able to just pick, okay, I'm two giraffes. I want to come at 2 p.m. on Saturday. You know, Noah, though an ancient man, was an intelligent man. And I bet yeah. he could set up a competent website like that with scheduling tools. Sure. If he had one of those really fancy services where you can just go in and do that. I bet the ancients could create that. They'd probably call it like... Like the arc would be rectangular. Mm. You know what? It'd be even like simpler, cleaner with even sides, like, mm, a, like square. a square space. Yeah. A square yeah. space. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God, that reminds me. Mm-hmm. This episode's actually brought to you in part by Squarespace. I'm sorry, what now? Yeah, Squarespace. It's the all in one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Oh my goodness. If you need to get the word out about your religion or Mm -hmm. your business or Mm -hmm. your personal projects or just you if you Mm -hmm. want to own your own domain this is the place to do it squarespace yes you can stand out with a beautiful website engage your audience sell anything get whoever you want on your boat and you can create pro level videos with very little effort (laughs) that's right (laughs) i'm saving carrie the emotional (laughs) and intellectual strain The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, Noah, and grow your audience and drive sales. And this all started with online booking and scheduling. And guess what? Mm. They have tools for that, too. You can easily add that to your site. Mm. And look like a pro. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Yeah, it's it's so nice because you can go in and use templates, click and drag elements, easily bring them in, and it'll do the heavy lifting for you. Or if you're wanting to get like really in the weeds with it and add markup on top of it, you can do that. It Mm -hmm. gives you all the extensibility you could want and... You can get in there and start playing around, see if you like it Mm -hmm. before you buy. Yep, try before you buy. Start making your site and then be like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Let's make this real. Get the milk for free and then realize you want the cow to use the speciesist metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So head to squarespace.com slash ono for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ONO to save 10% off your first purchase. 
of a website or domain. Squarespace. Where all the ancient smart people are going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so I'm I'm walking to Squarespace. Walking, walking, whoa, walking. Whoa, whoa, stop, Ross. Yeah. You don't have on your shoes. Ooh, well, let me put on my Rothies. Oh, those are handsome shoes. Thank oh, you. wait, this reminds me. This okay. episode is actually brought to you in part by Rothies. What is happening here? That's amazing. I, I, I like these shoes, and they like us enough to support Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Yeah, that's right. And I see that your style is more of a classic neutral, but they also have trendy yet timeless pops of color. Rothy's just, they have you covered whatever you like. I like the pops of color. Yeah. Yeah, me too. They're nicely designed. I have Rothy's. You have Rothy's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're good work shoes. I like wearing them to yeah. work. Nice. They're I like, like Ross is a serious man. He's not wearing his running shoes. Yeah, there he's, we go. He's wearing like these classy Rothy's. There we go. You can be like Ross. They're washable. They're durable. They're cute. And they have tons of options for new wardrobe staples that you can feel good about wearing. They have flats, they have loafers, sneakers, and they have dozens of colors and prints and more launching soon. And it's not just shoes. Mm -mm. Rothy's durable bags are the perfect essential to transition from days on the go to nights on the town. And Rothy's shoes are sustainably made with their signature threads spun from recycled single-use plastic bottles. They have broken down over 146 million and counting. And that is so many that I'll let them say over 146 million. Yeah, because if you're going through bottles that fast, that number has to be rising yeah. faster than you could talk, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I said the real number... It would be in. It would be out old. of date by the time you heard it. Exactly. That's right. Coming out of my own mouth. So for stylish and comfortable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get twenty dollars off your first purchase at Rothy's.com/slash. Oh no. That's R O T H Y S dot com slash. Oh no. Oh my gosh! Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. So those are all beautiful, lovely displays that showed exactly how the flood went down. Yeah. Now we've got our new world, which looks like our modern world. Wild. Again, you can throw all of geology out the window uh, <laughs> just to make your story work. It would be so great if the last one, they just had the current geology just totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like flopped. That would be really funny. Or like have the earth spinning the wrong way or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or like uh, Florida's just on the left. Not that I noticed. Their signs are just so head scratching. They have this one about cross continent deposition of sediment layers that are found in different areas, like across mm. multiple countries. It's like, well, yeah, that's consistent with the evolutionary story. What point do you think you're making? Mm. That they somehow feel that this can only point to the flood, whatever. Hmm. Then they also, of course, have to call out all of the old Earth people who have all these absurd ideas about how somehow you could have a flood and an old Earth. 
Especially the old earth Christians, I assume. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is calling out other Christians. So Got it. let's uh, take a small breather. Let the evolutionists gather their strength while we pick on our own <laughs> for a moment. I got to say, I did like this one illustration where they showed a giant mass of water just stopping hovering because it hit a mountaintop. Oh, Beca- yeah. What? Because they were lampooning the idea that some old earth creationists might say, well, it was probably just a local flood. And they'll mm-hmm. say, oh, sure, a local flood that covered the mountaintops up to 15 cubits. So they show this water column just stopping, hovering above the edge of a oh, mountain. Oh, right. Water is stopping in an unnatural way. Yeah, very clever. I see. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. You could not have that much water and have just... Well, I guess it depends on what local is, but it would present a problem. They do have a point there. Either you take the story literally or, or you, you don't. Or you don't. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And so they have another one of those little interactive, like flip around signs that kids can go and spin that address various problems of a local flood. So if there was a local flood, well, then you couldn't say that it destroyed all flesh. And that's what the Bible tells us. Mm. And Noah could have just moved somewhere else. That would have taken less time than, you know, 75 plus years to build the boat. Sure, though, that would be rude to God. That's right. He told you to build the boat. Mm-hmm. But OK, if it were a local flood, sure, you could just leave the region. Leave, yeah. You have 75 years to do it. The ark wouldn't have had to be so large. OK, he wouldn't have had to bring flying creatures. They could have flown somewhere else. They to should not be it. putting this in here. No. They're pointing out all the problems with their own story. Yeah. Sure. But, you know, for everybody who's like, we agree that this is literal, yeah. Yeah. they're like, oh, these are legitimate problems if that's your standard. Yeah. Yeah. We're preaching to our vanishingly small choir. I guess a lot of people believe this. It's not even that small. Yeah. Like some 40% of Americans. Oh. the weight of that just settled on carrie yeah yeah okay that means probably someone listening to this if you think this happened i'm so proud of you for staying with this through episode nine (laughs) oh totally this happened that's really amazing yeah that's awesome and then finally they say did god go back on his promise which was to never do this again so Uh essentially like you calling god a liar because we've seen many local floods right what god won't do again is not send a flood and murder people it's send a big (laughs) flood and murder all the people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay cool cool cool. okay so this sign gave me pause because i hadn't really heard this one before it was about warped rocks so they have all these pictures of rocks in like striations where you would find fossils or something like you're looking at the side of a mountain that's been eroded away. Yeah. And there's some like wavy pictures of rocks that have bent. And they say, well, this could only happen rapidly. You can't have rocks slowly bend over time. What? That's what they're saying. They would be broken, which is weird because like in the pictures they shared, the rocks do look pretty broken up from the bending. Well, sure. And there's all kinds of rocks. I mean, like you could erode a piece of a rock and it looks wavy as a result if it were over a lot of time. So they have all of these diagrams about like how heat transfer works and how they say that this is impossible for slow formation. So I thought, hey, why not check in with our old friend Donald Prothero? Oh, DP. Yeah. Yeah. Paleontologist and uh, all around good reference for these kinds of questions and uh, this was better than taking him to a creationist museum i could just show him also did one sign and say hey don what do you think of this what would be your response you feeling good you like it and he said i could quote him he said it's bullshit as you might expect 
<laughs> bullshit was in all caps. <laughs> if rocks are put under heat and pressure, they can deform like clay or even flow. Creationists don't know enough about rocks to know that they're wrong. Rocks are brittle only at the surface where there is not much pressure, but buried at depth, they flow, not crack. Oh, sure. So there we go. Okay, there you go. And of course, they've always got to make hay out of the Grand Canyon. So there's a big picture of the Grand Canyon. They've got various little rhetorical questions about it. Like, well, why are some of the walls so steep if it happened gradually? Well, the layers lay down gradually. And then the Colorado River came and cut through them mm-hmm. more recently, like in the last five to six million years. Wait, what's their complaint? Is that like some of the walls are too steep? That could only happen quickly, not gradually. Oh, I see. I see. And that, Oh, because they're picturing a building up instead of a cutting through. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. They're they're missing that carving process, and the carving process is relatively recent. Yeah, I don't feel like any of their other arguments are even worth mentioning, except for oh, they always talk about this canyon that was formed right after the Mount St. Helens explosion, mm-hmm. the Engineers Canyon. So it's. 100 feet deep. It's about 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon. And it was all formed like in a day or very quickly by all of this volcanic ash and mud flow. So again, it's like, yes, and we understand that process. And it's different from the one that you're critiquing here. It's different from the Grand Canyon. And Bill Nye made a really good point about this. He said, why don't you have Grand Canyons everywhere then? Like Mm. if that happened during the flood why didn't it happen all over the place why isn't that a common feature on the earth right right uh-huh yeah fair speaking of which mm-hmm. a, a lot of people are sending us this tiktok clip of bill nye debating ken ham on the ark which funny enough i had just watched all of like the two hour excruciating conversation they had on the oh, ark no. you can find these on youtube yeah i haven't watched this yet but everyone okay. keeps sending it to me i just haven't haven't done it yet okay so it's bill nye the mm-hmm. science guy coming, famed science educator yeah coming to this ark and starting out on the third floor they kind of debate beforehand like okay where should we start and ken ham wants them to work up slowly gradually from the bottom and Bill Nye wants to start at the top to make sure they get there. Oh, that's smart. Okay. Because he's had some people pre-scope it out and he especially wants to talk about the Ice Age exhibit, which is coming next. Okay. Yeah. It's just two hours of them like trying to look around and notice things and have little talking points, but then just they keep getting sucked into debates and like the people nearby come over and they want to either take a picture with Bill Nye (laughs) or they want to preach the gospel to him. And yeah, and he's trying to take everyone's questions and treat them seriously. And you can tell he's having a hard time. Ken Ham is having a hard time. Both of them have kind of a position to defend and don't want to make certain concessions. And, oh, it's just what a tug of war. Yeah. I feel both of them, you know, did admirably for what they were trying to do. Okay. Okay. But this was a follow-up to a 2014 debate that the two of them had. Right. So this I think I've seen. Yeah. I remember this being like a big event and all of my friends were coordinating like, you watching it? Yeah, I'm watching it. Right. And then some people completely object to the very idea. Why would you You're dignifying them by having the debate. Yeah. I don't don't feel that way. I get those arguments, but I say no good to have the discussion. Yeah. I just don't think ignoring works (laughs) we're in too connected a world now if it's a guy with like no one paying attention to him at all maybe but come on ken ham lots of people are listening to ken ham of course the answers exist in books and universities and museums but 
that's not always the way to reach people. Yeah, so yeah. let's have those answers and that information exist in other forums. And yeah, sometimes there are things that just don't lend themselves well to quick communication. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating and difficult. Yeah. But that's where science communicators really come in handy. And yeah, for sure. I'm glad he did it. Me too. And listen, this last weekend, I won't say who, but someone I know shared with me, I have only finished one book in my life, this person said. Oh, yeah, and I yeah, was like, every now oh, and then shit. you hear that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I like I had never thought about that. That's yeah. Wild. You know, you can talk to that person about this stuff or not. Mm -hmm. You know? You gonna be like a source of information for this person? Yeah. Or are you just gonna go like, well, that's too bad into that? Let me tell you what I remember from the books I read. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, they did also say, I gotta read more books. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love having that conversation because there's always different ways that work for different people. Mm -hmm. Some people can get in with an audio book or sometimes you just need to encourage them to read something that's fun, that doesn't feel like work, mm -hmm. which I totally get because a lot of my reading feels like assignments. Mm, okay. And I always recommend Reading Glasses, the other podcast oh, on yeah, Maximum. Maximum Fun Network. It's really great at breaking down all the different aspects of reading and reading live and kind of encouraging people to not stress out about it too much. You know, like mm. reading an audiobook counts as reading. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like some for people sure. get in their heads about that. Like, oh, I didn't actually so read it. I listened to it. Like, were you paying attention? Did the, did all the same information go through all the same neural pathways in your <laughs> yeah. brain? Okay, that's reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, speaking of information, let's head over next door to the Ice Age exhibit. Okay. This is where Bill Nye wanted to go. And it's a really pretty exhibit. Check out this picture, Carrie. Mm, pretty. It's got kind of like an ice wall on bottom and top of the wall that's got all the information on it. And in between is this very rich kind of like deep ice-like blue that's representing water and then these uh, floating golden land masses. But it's, just, it's pretty to look at, pretty to stand in. So, okay, nicely designed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Little scientology -y. And as you walk toward it, you can hear Bill Nye, like his voice. And you're like, this feels weird. I'm hmm. in Kentucky, in Noah's Ark, and I'm hearing Bill Nye's voice. What's going on? And they're going to tear down what he's saying. So you walk in and he's on this video screen and they play him from that first debate presenting ice cores as an argument. Okay. That in Antarctica, scientists have drilled really deep down into the earth and pulled out these cores, segments, chunks of ice that they can lay next to each other like you would tree rings and then look for the freezing thawing cycles that happen oh, yeah. typically on an annual basis Okay, and then use that to extract tiny bubbles and see what's inside of them and get useful information about the atmosphere oh, yeah, the in time. centuries, millennia past. That's cool. Yeah. And so Bill Nye was pointing out, we, as in we as humanity, scientists in particular, have been able to pull these out up to 680,000 layers of these cycles. Wow. So typically that's winter, summer. And if you assume all that happened in 4,000 years, because that's when they believe that the Ice Age started. Mm. Uh, so after the flood, they feel like the Ice Age got kicked off. Thousands of winters now in a year. Right, exactly. So he does the math there and he says, that means you're saying that every year you have 170 of these layers forming <laughs> okay. on average. Okay, not thousands, but 170 is still ridiculous. Yeah, I think we would have yeah. noticed that. So then after Bill Nye makes that point, then Ken Ham, of course, pops up on that same video and says, 
Now, I didn't have enough time to respond to this during the debate, but I've got a really good answer now. So this is interesting. He says, first of all, they don't measure ice cores in Antarctica. That happens in Greenland, and they've only gotten up to like 120,000 layers there, Okay, which is wrong. Bill Nye was right. <laughs> well, not only have the Antarctica records like gone up, they've gone up to like 800,000 years, but... Just in 2019, there was an even more massive collection of 2.7 million years of ice core data in Antarctica. Wow. So, wow. Sorry, Ken Ham. <laughs> like, it's, wow. it's just, it doesn't work. But again, he has a specific story that he wants to point to that he yeah. thinks can kind of dismiss the whole enterprise of those silly scientists and all of their data and all of their careful research because. There were two B-17 bombers and six P-38 fighter planes that were left in Greenland in 1942, and, and they were abandoned in 1988. People went back to find them, like, oh, where are those planes? And they were buried under 250 feet of ice. I looked it up. I found another article that said 268 feet you think they would use the larger figure but you know whatever so then in 1992 so 50 years later an expedition bored a hole down to retrieve the parts and they were able to put it back together and even get the plane working again very cool wow but his point was that look you can like have all of this deep ice formed within just 50 years but that wasn't the claim the claim was about kind of the annual cycles and, and even Ken Ham admitted that Greenland has a heavier snowfall than Antarctica. But he said that more than 50 of those layers were found. And I'm wondering, well, how much more? Yeah, what's more than 50? He doesn't give us the number. <laughs> I couldn't find it in my cursory searches. I spent mm -hmm. a little while trying to find a number on that. But yeah, I, I don't think it makes the point that he thinks he was making with that to refute these ice cores. I just can't even get myself to care. I'm just like, okay, so your God makes it this complicated to understand why he was right. Mm. It just, it's mm -hmm. like, why wouldn't it just be the more obvious explanation? It's always the working backwards and doing the mental backflips to make it work. And that's the task and the job of an apologist. Yeah. It used to be God of the gaps, you know, like mm. here's the gap in the information. And so God must have done it. How else would we explain this phenomenon? And now it's like, we need to create the gap. Yeah. That, How do we find the gap? They're not content with just saying like, well, God did it. They do want an explanation. They want to deal in what they feel are facts. Mm. But then they have to play this misleading game right. where they're sort of pointing over here and saying, well, look at this thing. And now you can imagine that anytime you hear scientists talk about this genuine data that they found, you can just dismiss it with a wave of the hand. Right, right. Just remember how you felt today. Mm -hmm. You know how snooty you feel today? Apply <laughs> that then. So they've got the video. They've got a little sign about that. They even have a diorama they've made to show the cross section of digging that plane out of the deep ice just so we can get this, like you say, sort of in our heads to have for the future. Mm -hmm. There were some other interesting findings in here. They believe, again, that there was only one Ice Age when the secular view is that there were at least four. Actually, it's at least five Ice Ages that we know about. Oh, well, that's still at least four. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, See how you can do this with that? Sure. They have a display about like why creatures could get so giant in the cold, and they had a picture of like 
the mammoths and like some giant sloth-like creature that lived in the cold. But Yeah, you, why could they get that big? So the arguments were actually, I thought, kind of silly. Really? <laughs> oh, fair. Okay. Larger animals are usually better at intimidating predators. Larger animals often move faster. Uh-huh. Larger animals typically stay warmer due to an advantageous surface area to volume ratio. Larger animals tend to live longer. Larger animals require less food per pound. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know that larger animals move faster. I don't know if I buy that one. And not all large animals have historically lived in the cold. Sure. I feel like they were just filling space with this one. Yeah, I'm losing track of the question to even follow your answer. (laughs) Indeed. This was the real reason that Bill and I wanted to come into this display when he was in person because they have this little exhibit about climate change or is climate change natural? Oh, no. Yeah. And so Bill and I were saying, you're doing a disservice to the public here, telling yeah. them that climate change isn't real. And then Ken Ham chimes in with that. Oh, no, no, no. We totally believe that the climate does change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but that humans have no part in it. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Okay. Cool. I think you knew what I meant, but is it anthropogenic? Are humans uh, mm-hmm. to blame for it? No, no. Well, there's all these other things that go on. There's solar cycles and there's blah, 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 volcanism. And so they have this chart here that shows this huge peak during the medieval warm period. And uh, this comes up all the time from the 800s to 1200s, maybe the 1400s. There was a spike of heat, especially in Mm -hmm. Europe, that was due to solar radiation and a decrease in volcanic activity and changes in ocean current patterns. So that was real. There was localized heating, but it wasn't worldwide. So this chart is very deceptive, making it look like it got way hotter than it is now. No, when you look at average global temperature, again, from ice core data and other data sources that we have, it wasn't that much of a peak. So yeah, frustrating. I wonder what they imagine is the motivation of the scientists for arguing for anthropogenic climate change in a world in which anthropogenic climate change doesn't exist. Yeah, like overweening nanny statism. Wanting, yeah, I, I, but why? I you think know, kind of those... like, no one wants that. Like, no <laughs> one is like, oh, I just love it when the government overreaches. Even if you argue for mm-hmm. what might be considered a government overreach, that's not going to be your reason for it. You're right. going to give some other yeah, reason for it. It's a good question, but I feel like it's such a step down from saying that your enemies eat babies and drink adrenochrome that like yeah. it, it feels like a less cartoonish painting. But you're right. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Why does Al Gore just really want to levy regulations on your coal factory? Yeah. This isn't one of those are our, our adversaries are evil. It? But yeah, just I'm just sort of like, so what's going on in your head that you what do you think is going on for these people? Why is Bill I saying that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. why yeah well yeah what do you picture going on in their head in their daily life and is that realistic yeah because you're right they probably won't uh bear that test yeah it would be much easier on my life if climate change weren't real like i don't get any personal advantages right. to like arguing that it is yeah, yeah yeah absolutely that's a really good point yeah thank you huh well that's it for our show yeah we've got one more episode of the third floor and trust me there's some good stuff coming up yeah, yeah, yeah. Some fl- All right, cool. Flood legends and Babel and a whole museum of the Bible. Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't remember ever not being on this boat. <laughs> there was no before time. <laughs> uh, all right, well, thanks for coming along with us on this adventure. 
Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Victor Figueroa. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And we'll be back next time. We're taking a week off, but we'll be back again with more ARC. And we're doing some really fun stuff this weekend. Can't wait. Yeah, this is going to be a good weekend. Yeah, as this episode drops, we will uh, be very busy doing all kinds of cool stuff that we can't wait to tell you about. But if you see us, don't say anything. That's right. We might see some of you where we are. And uh, yeah, play cool. Play cool. Be cool, man. Be cool. And remember... Uh, My scientific colleagues go to places like Greenland, the Arctic, they go to Antarctica, and they drill into the ice with hollow drill bits. It's not that extraordinary. Many of you have probably done it yourselves, uh, drilling other things, uh, hole saws to put locks and doors, for example. And we pull out long cylinders of ice, long ice rods, and these are made of snow. And by long tradition, it's called snow ice. And snow ice forms over the winter as snowflakes uh, fall and are crushed down by subsequent layers. They're crushed together and trapping the little bubbles. And the little bubbles must needs be ancient atmosphere. There's nobody running around with a hypodermic needle squirting ancient atmosphere into the bubbles. And we find certain of these cylinders to have 680,000 layers. 680,000 snow winter, summer cycles. How could it be that just 4,000 years ago, all of this ice formed? Let's just um, run some numbers. Uh, This is uh, some scenes from lovely uh, Antarctic. Uh, Let's say we have 680,000 layers of snow ice and 4,000 years since the Great Flood. That would mean we'd need 170 summer, winter, summer cycles every year for the last 4,000 years. I mean, wouldn't someone have noticed that? (laughs) Wow, wouldn't someone have noticed that there's been winter, summer, winter, summer 170 times one year? If we go to uh, California, we find enormous stands of bristlecone pines. Some of them are over 6,000 years old, 6,800 years old. There's a famous tree in Sweden, Old Tico, is 9,550 years old. How could these trees be there if there was an enormous flood just 4,000 years ago? MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.